In Nicholas Volsterstorff's 1983 book, Until Justice and Peace Embrace, the renowned Yale philosopher distinguishes between two vastly different approaches Christians have historically taken to worldly engagement. Wolstersdorf calls these two approaches the otherworldly approach and the world transformative approach. And here is what these approaches are. First, the otherworldly approach sees this present world as largely unimportant, which is to say for such Christians as these, this present world is not our true home, and thus we don't need to spend a great deal of energy working to remedy it of its present brokenness. For all is already perfect in heaven, and that's where we're ultimately headed, thus that's what we should therefore turn our energies toward, our faith in the next life. Again, Wolstersdorf calls this approach to Christian living the otherworldly approach. And he calls it that because for Christians who hold this view, it is, in the end, another world that really matters, not this one. We're all still together. Okay, on to the second approach. The second approach, the one Wolstersdorf calls the world transformative approach, sees it as being an integral aspect of Christian discipleship to try to bend this present world as best as is possible into an ever closer replica of the world which is to come which is to say in this perspective, it's not enough to simply wait for a coming reality. Instead, for Christians who take a world transformative approach to Christian discipleship, a Christian must do all that he or she can to make the present world a better place. Do you see the difference between these two perspectives? It's all the difference in the world. Otherworldly, with a focus on biding our time until the next life, over against world transformative, with a focus on bending things in this life into a closer image of that which is to come. Throughout the history of the Christian church, Bolsterstorff points out, Christians have approached discipleship, that is, Christians have conceived of what discipleship means through one of these two governing perspectives. These perspectives, he says, shape everything else. Are we all still together? Okay, fantastic. In that case, let's talk for a minute about gardening. As you'll recall, last week we talked about how vital good soil is for proper gardening. 
In fact, we talked last week about how a master gardener is defined not so much by that which he or she ultimately grows, but more so by how well he or she cultivates the soil that such things grow in. For if there is no depth of soil, as Jesus says, then even if something lovely does happen to grow up, it will soon enough just wither away. You remember all of that? Well, I want this morning to revisit that thought, but this morning I want to add to it a word on both the sense of humility and also the sense of responsibility that a master gardener must bring to his or her work. Which is to say, after the soil has been properly cultivated, which, again, must always be step number one. If we don't have the soil right, nothing after that much matters. But after this, after the soil has been properly cultivated, the master gardener then scatters seed and in so doing trust that on account of the good soil and on account of the proper layout of the garden and on account of the molecular properties of the seeds, that on account of all of these things and many others, that beautiful and wholesome and delicious things will soon spring forth, but not on account of him or herself. Follow. In other words, point number one here being master gardeners have the humility to know that no matter how masterful they may be, they are not the ones in control of what their gardens ultimately produce. That instead there are countless other external forces that have bearing on what ultimately emerges. Rain, sun, winds, birds, animals, molecular composition, chemical engagement, the list goes on and on. The master gardener has an innate sense of humility surrounding his or her role and what the garden ultimately produces. So that's point number one. Here's point number two. And so, in short, a master gardener understands that he or she on his or her own could never elicit, not even from the best soil, a bountiful harvest. However, that same master gardener also realizes that if there is to be a bountiful harvest, it could not happen were it not for his or her efforts in the process. Are we all still together now? Okay, here's Jesus. The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground, 
and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow, he does not know how. Let me do that again. The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow, he does not know how. Here, dear family, is the spiritual application of being a master gardener. For the bountiful harvest of God's coming kingdom, that is, the coming reality when justice and peace shall embrace, when death shall cease and when war shall be no more, when the lion shall lie down with the lamb and a little child shall lead them for that bountiful harvest. A human gardener is necessary. A human seed scatterer is necessary. A human being is necessary, which is to say we as Christian disciples for God's coming kingdom are necessary. For according to the scriptures, due to the way that God has chosen to orchestrate things, we don't know why God chose to do it this way. We just know that God has. For according to the scriptures, due to the way that God has chosen to orchestrate things, if we, meaning we human beings created in God's image and tasked with being God's caretakers of creation, According to the scriptures, if we don't properly cultivate the soil, and if we don't committedly scatter seed, and if we don't take care for the shape and layout of the garden, so to speak, the final bounty can't rightly emerge. Which is another way of saying that when it comes to the final flowering of God's kingdom, we as Christian disciples have been burdened by God with enormous responsibility. But, but in that same breath, the scriptures also make clear that through our own dogged determination and our own human design, we can never of our own accord bring that bounty about. We on our own, the scriptures make crystal clear, cannot usher in God's kingdom. Only the external power and goodness of grace from God can do that. And thus, our role in bringing forth the coming kingdom is simply to cultivate the soil and scatter the seeds and transplant healthy growth and then trust that the yield will somehow emerge just as it does for all master gardeners we know not how.
This kingdom of God business is an awesome responsibility for human beings created in the image of God, just as it requires of us an awesome sense of humility. For the kingdom of God is like unto world transformative Christians doing world transformative things. But then trusting that it is God at the last who will usher in the coming kingdom, not world transformative Christians who've been endeavoring to bring it about. Is this all making sense? The theologian Jürgen Moltmann helpfully points out that modern Christians tend to be either overly presumptuous or overly despairing and or apathetic about human power and purpose in the world. Either we are overly presumptuous, Moltmann says, genuinely believing that we can on our own steam, of our own accord, mold the world or bend the world or legislate the world or scientifically engineer the world into God's kingdom. That is, into a state of harmony and perfection and justice and bliss. Either we are overly presumptuous in this way, Moltmann points out, or we are overly despairing and or apathetic about it, genuinely believing that it doesn't really matter what we do, that our present lives don't much matter in the final analysis, because soon enough we will be gone from here anyway, so why bother with such things? So, presumption on the one hand, despair and or apathy on the other. Either we as human beings believe that we have unlimited power, or we believe that we are enormously impotent. Neither of those options, Moltmann points out, in the end is true, at least not within the Christian framework. Moltmann points out that such modern Christian attitudes betray a complete lack of understanding concerning what Christian hope actually is. For Christian hope, true, biblical, orthodox Christian hope balances both human responsibility and human limitation, both human power and human impotence, all the while highlighting the necessary continuity between this present world and the world which is to come. For according to Orthodox Christian hope, just as a bountiful garden first requires a master gardener's cultivation and care, so too, according to Orthodox Christian hope, does the bounteous coming kingdom of God require human cultivation and care too. Thus, our efforts matter and are indispensable. power. 
That said, though, lest we then err on the side of human presumption, Orthodox Christian hope holds that just as a master gardener could never bring about a bounteous garden on his or her efforts alone, neither can human effort alone bring forth God's coming kingdom. We're impotent to do that. Instead, like master gardeners, Christian disciples cultivate the soil and daily scatter kingdom seeds, knowing that such work is necessary for God's coming kingdom to rightly come. But then, however, like master gardeners, Christian disciples humbly trust in the external and mysterious power and purposes of God to cause the kingdom to grow and eventually to come in its fullness. We know not how. In the end, this is the central lesson from this parable in Mark chapter 4, that the human being is both powerful and impotent, that the human being is both responsible and limited, and thus that the kingdom of God does depend on Christian disciples endeavoring to make things ever more on earth as they are in heaven. But that in that same breath, Christian disciples can never of our own accord bring the fullness of God's kingdom about. That instead, our small daily acts of discipleship will spring up in ways and at times and in places and for purposes that we in most cases will never even see or know. And that, in the end, is world-transformative Christianity. An approach to Christian discipleship that does not, that never does, arrogate to ourselves a capacity to transform this world into a blissful utopia, but an approach that nonetheless recognizes our vital role in bringing God's kingdom about. Both and. Let's land this plane. In his marvelous little book, Gardens, an essay on the human condition, the Stanford professor Robert Pogue Harrison writes, and I quote, There is every reason to believe that if humankind has to entrust its future to anyone, it should entrust it to the gardener or to those who, like the gardener, invest themselves in a future of which they will in part be the authors, though they will not be around to witness its full unfolding. Though Harrison does not here intend to define it as such, this is world-transformative Christianity that he is here describing. An approach to Christian discipleship that sees ourselves as soil cultivators, as seed scatterers, 
as master gardeners who invest ourselves in a future of which we will in part be the authors, as Harrison puts it, even though we will not, at least not in real time, witness, as Harrison puts it, its full unfolding. Instead, as master gardeners, we simply offer love when hatred or enmity would feel more natural to us. And we respond with gentleness and kindness when a harsh word would be more immediately satisfying to us. And we live generously and faithfully when stinginess and caprice would bring more immediate pleasure to us. And we work for justice even when injustice serves our own best interests. And we work for peace even when peace might bring disruption to our own lives. And we work for righteousness even amid a corrupt and broken world. Yes, to live as world transformative Christians is to daily plant little seeds such as these and then trust that love and gentleness and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and justice and peace and righteousness will flower in the world in ways and in places and at times we know not how. all, of course, in anticipation of that coming day when the entire harvest will come in full bloom. Dear Boulevard family, let us be world-transformative Christians rather than otherworldly Christians. Let us be humble Christians while also being responsible Christians. Let us be hopeful Christians while neither being presumptuous nor despairing Christians. Which is to say, dear family, let us be master gardener Christians, soil cultivators and seed scatterers, disciples who recognize that due to God's own design, God's coming kingdom does not grow without us, but disciples who also recognize that we do not cause God's kingdom to grow. For God's kingdom grows like all master gardens. We know not how. Amen. And as we prepare for our hymn of response, I will be coming forward and would love to greet any who would like to this day confess Jesus Christ as Lord or pledge a desire to join this community of faith here at Boulevard, where we daily endeavor to make things on earth ever more as they are in heaven.